0: A chart nobody is likely going to reflect on, especially under the Christmas tree. We are, because it's time to say no more. Join me after the intro as I reflect on something that can affect any of us and turn our reality and that of those we care about and truly care for us upside down. So grab a cup of coffee and a T-shirt, settle in, and let's start. Do you feel stuck in your life? Do you feel unhappy but not completely sure why that is? Do you hold a grudge towards someone for something they did, which affects you and the way you live your life? Have you ever told someone, I forgive you, but in reality you were not completely over what happened? Why is it so difficult to truly forgive? How do we forgive? And can anything and anyone be forgiven? Hi, my name is Rossana and I'm the host of the Forgiven Tribe Show. This is a safe and non-judgmental place for sharing opinions and challenging experiences where the practice of forgiveness helped individuals to get unstuck and create a much more fulfilling life than they had before. Join me in this exciting journey to unveil how you too can have the life you deserve. Simply click the subscribe button below to receive notification about future episodes. Welcome to the Forgiven Threat Show. We are at the end of yet another year, and this is the time when we tend to draw lines and reflect on how the last 12 months went. We hear all sorts of stats and figures And a vast variety of charts. And who are we to do any different? Today I'm going to reflect on a chart that most likely will pass undiscussed, unnoticed, especially amidst the festive lights and the cheerful gatherings and celebrations. Last November, a 22-year-old Italian student, Giulia Ciacchettini, from a town near Venice in Italy, was brutally killed by her former boyfriend, and fellow university student. He stabbed her furiously, and she died from the consequences of the 29 stabs she received. An horrible and painful way to die, provided that there is an unhorrible or not painful way to be killed. The shock and horror for her loss are even more shocking if we consider what are apparently the reasons that unleashed such a homicide theory. It seems he did it out of some form of jealousy, because she wanted to study, and she was good at it, because she was going to graduate from university before him, because she was likely to get a job before him, because she was crafting a good life for herself away from him. Giulia has not been the first woman killed in Italy by someone within their personal sphere since the beginning of 2023. She hasn't been the second or the third, and not even the fourth or fifth. Giulia has been the 107th woman killed in Italy by someone within their personal sphere since the beginning of the year. These numbers are bad. But if you think that Italy is the only country where these heinous acts happen, I'm afraid to say you will be utterly mistaken. So as we go even more into the celebration mode or mood, I like to stop and reflect with you about one of the most heinous acts I can think of. Because only if we keep the attention high instead of hiding our heads under the sun, we can hope that the situation will look better in the future. And is there a better time to hope for a better future than at the end of the year? So today we want to reflect On the gender-related killings of women and girls. I said that as bad as the figures look, Italy is not even close to the top rating countries for the occurrence of women and girls killings. In the chart of 133 countries where femicide data are collected, Italy actually stands out among the countries on the lowest scale of femicide rate distribution which here is defined as the number of women killed by someone in their private sphere every 100,000 women. Data show that the rate of femicide in Italy in 2023 has been the same found in the Netherlands, 0.4, and lower than those for Spain, 0.5, France, United Kingdom and Sweden, 0.7, Portugal and Germany, 0.9, Finland, 1 or Belgium 1.4. Just to mention a few countries in Europe. And when we think about the rest of the world, the situation doesn't get any better. Italy has a slightly higher rate than Japan, 0.3, a similar rate of the United Arab Emirates of 0.4, and a lower rate than those of New Zealand, 0.5, Australia, 0.7, Canada, 0.9. Argentina 1.7, United States 2.2, Brazil 4.3, South Africa 9.1. Again, just to mention a few big countries around the globe. Collected data for 2023 are not yet available, but the report published at the end of November this year for 2022 by the UNODC, one of the agencies responsible for implementing the United Nations Programme on Terrorism, show that, worldwide, nearly 49,000 women and girls have been killed in 2022. That makes it more than 133 women per day during the year. There were 45,000 in 2021 and 47,000 in 2020. Based on this data, 2022 has also shown as the highest annual number recorded in the past 20 years. Asia and Africa are the two continents with the highest victims and similar figures over these three years. The Americas follow, then Europe, and last but not least, we have Oceania. Now, let me be completely clear here. These numbers only account for those women killed by their partner, ex-partner, or some other family member. This is important to stress because it clearly points to cultural and social issues and gender diversity. I explain. Based on the 2022 UNODC report, while most homicides worldwide are committed against men and boys, about 80%, women and girls are disproportionately affected by homicidal violence in their home, So these are the numbers. I'm a scientist and I do like to look at the data, but in this case, it's very difficult to stay cool and not to get emotional and upset. Sometimes we might be very quick in judging those involved in these crimes or the conditions perhaps they lived. We tend to almost justify what happened as the inevitable consequences of poverty, lack of education, lack of means, lack of opportunities, lack of something. But the truth is, these heinous crimes happen everywhere, regardless of the conditions the victims and their killers lived. I mentioned the homicide of Giulia Cecchettini in Italy just a few short weeks ago. This happened in one of the richest regions of Italy. Both Giulia and her killer, Filippo Toretta, were university students close to graduate. They both grew up in the comfort of loving families, in beautiful houses with their manicured gardens and lawns. And they belonged to the group of young adults that without doubt were born lucky. But then what? What are the reasons that unleash such a fury to terminate in the cruelest way the life of someone we claimed once to love? Now, we cannot just say these are the consequences of poverty or lack of means and opportunities. This is not just a third or fourth world country issue which won't make it any less disgusting but could be discussed, analysed, understood and perhaps even stopped through those lenses. The numbers I mentioned before underline a global emergency that requires the intervention of everybody to be stopped. Femicide is also called gender-related killing of women and girls which can broadly be defined as intentional killings committed on the grounds of gender-related factors. Factors that are deeply embedded in the interplay of social, cultural, economic, political, and systemic dynamics, and that collectively create an environment where violence against women is on the right. These factors can include the ideology of men's entitlement and privilege over women, social norms regarding masculinity, and the need to assert male control or power, enforce gender roles, or prevent, discourage or punish even what is considered to be unacceptable female behavior. From a sociocultural standpoint, deeply ingrained gender norms and stereotypes play a pivotal role in perpetuating femicide. Societal expectations often dictate rigid gender roles, fostering an environment where women may be viewed as subordinate to men. This power imbalance can manifest in various forms, from subtle discrimination to overt acts of violence. Cultural attitudes that normalize or trivialize aggression against women contribute to a permissive atmosphere that emboldens perpetrators. Economic factors also intertwine in some cases with the issue of femicide. Financial disparities and unequal access to resources can exacerbate tensions within households and communities. Economic instability may create stressors that, when combined with existing gender inequalities, result in heightened domestic violence. Moreover, Economic dependencies can trap some women in abusive relationships, as financial constraints limit their ability to escape such situations. But let's not focus only on economic situations and economic reasons. Systemic factors, including institutionalized sexism and patriarchal structures, further compound the issue. Discriminatory practice within educational health care, and workplace systems can limit women's opportunities, perpetuating a cycle of inequality. Additionally, inadequate support systems for victims and survivors, coupled with a lack of awareness and education about gender-based violence, contribute to the perpetuation of femicide. And it's at the intersection of these factors that a web of challenges is created that this disproportionately affects women. For instance, women from marginalized communities may face compound discrimination as race, ethnicity, and socioeconomic status intersect with gender to amplify vulnerability. The growing rate of femicide is a symptom of deeply rooted societal issues that demand systemic change. Addressing this crisis requires a holistic approach that challenges the ingrained beliefs, promotes economic and social equality, strengthens legal frameworks, and fosters a major cultural shift towards gender justice. It's only through a collective and sustained effort that we can hope to dismantle the structures that enable the alarming rise of violence against women and build a society where every individual is free from the threat of femicide. And for that, we need to collect the dots between different aspects and challenge the foundation of this violence. Many factors, as I said, contribute to violence against women and femicide, but I believe gender inequality connects them all. Ending violence against women starts with addressing gender discrimination, as well as harmful attitudes, behaviours and stereotypes that normalize unequal power relations and violence. But equally, we need to continue educating both men and women about emotions and how to manage them, what love is and is not, and that love with violence is not love. It's important to educate boys and men on how to deal with their emotions. As a society, we don't do a great job there. There is still so much shame that comes from opening up in a moment of genuine vulnerability. And so the energy is used in a different way, in a disgusting. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to justify what happened to Julia and the other 48,000 women who were killed in 2023. And there are many more in the previous years. But the solution cannot just be limited to jail them for the rest of their life, and rightly so after they have committed the crime. The solution for the future is in the prevention of these crimes. And so we should start from the young boys. We should talk to them about what respect means. And perhaps we should also shock them with the cruel reality. I remember once talking with my brother-in-law about the types of TV programs the children would watch. On his blacklist, there was the TV news. I would agree that showing, for example, a two-year-old child images of war or heinous crimes, such as femicide, is unhelpful because they are too young to understand. But perhaps when they reach the age of nine or ten, they could start learning about these situations and develop their social conscience. We cannot think of protecting them till they are officially adults, hoping for the best. That conscience requires time to develop. I remember once watching a short video of an interview to a former Italian scientific journalist, Piero Angela, who was talking in front of a group of children, probably aged between 8 and 10. And he said, Anything can be explained to a child if you find the right word. So we need to find the right word that explains to children, to boys, what love is, how to deal with their emotions, how to respect others, in their lives, how to deal with and accept and know. To stop femicide, we need to be in a situation where future men don't see killing as a solution. And for that, we need to build up those future men, in other words, today's boys, with a love for life and respect of themselves and others. At the same time, it is important to educate girls as well. There is a responsibility that we hold as women, unfortunately, and it's that beautiful ability for caring, nurturing, supporting, protecting and lifting others that comes written in our DNA as part of the maternal instinct. As beautiful as it is, that tendency for caring and protecting those we love can make us blind and dismiss important signs that could develop into a stream of. So again, educating today's little girls who will be tomorrow's women on what love is and where the fine line between caring and self-caring is, between protecting and self-protecting it, becomes paramount. It's about educating girls that love with a ruler is not love. It's just violence. It's about educating girls about self-respect It's about teaching them to recognize what is acceptable and what is not. And that whenever a gesture, a word, is near, an action makes them feel less than, then they need to raise their attention. They need to question why they felt that way. They need to talk with someone they trust. They need to stop justifying that person because, oh, perhaps I misunderstood, or perhaps... They didn't mean it, or they are so much under pressure right now, or whatever. We need to say no more. We are our own first line of defense. Femicide is just the tip of the iceberg. Femicide is preventable if we connect the dots and see that gender inequality connects all the factors that can contribute to this inner suffering. And I want to leave you with a quote from former Secretary-General of the United Nations, Ban Ki-moon, who said, There is one universal truth applicable to all countries, cultures and communities. Violence against women is never acceptable, never excusable and never tolerable. If you or someone you know have been dealing with situations that felt uncomfortable in any way, if your current or ex-partner shows extreme or unhealthy forms of jealousy, if they are possessive with you, if they are controlling with you, then please, please, say no more. Ask for help. Share your doubts and thoughts with someone you trust. Don't wait for them to change and don't try to justify their action, it's unfair to you, it doesn't help them, and could potentially lead to fatal consequences. Let's be united against femicide, and as we gather to celebrate the end of 2023, let's all make a pledge for 2024, to start making small and yet significant changes. As always, if you have been affected in any way by the topic we discussed today, please seek professional help. With my best wishes for a peaceful end of 2023 and a sparkling start of 2024, I invite you to join me next time, as we will continue also in the new year to explore inspiring and challenging situations. Because remember, we are together in this journey. Remember, forgiveness is like a muscle. The more you practice, the stronger and more effective it becomes. If you haven't done it yet, you can subscribe by clicking the subscribe button below. If you know anybody who could benefit from the topics discussed in this show, do some good and share the link with them. If you have a story that you want to share with us, comments or suggestions on topics you would like to be explored, send me an email at forgiveanddrive.com at gmail.com. Reviews will also be very much appreciated. And with this, it's a wrap. Till next time, thank you and goodbye.